Amen. Thank you, Nisi. Nisi has the heart of a worshiper. I don't know if you've noticed that, but it's been a great joy to watch that little gifting and promptings of the Spirit to be developed in her through these years. She sang that song um, for us at our last care group meeting, and she said, I just want you to listen to the words so it ministers to you. That's the heart of a worship, a worshiper that she has. Thank you, Nisi. You appreciate that. Um, I give you control. Who's ready to say to God, I give you control? I'm sure there's areas of our lives where we need to say that to the Lord. And maybe God's Spirit will loosen up our grip on the things of our hearts that we've been holding on to. And that will give Him control in yet another area of our lives today. I know one area that He wants control of, that He wants us to acquiesce to, and we're going to talk about that this morning in our passage. And we are in the Gospel of Matthew. We've been there for some time now. And Jesus is preaching a sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. It's been broken into three different chapters. So it's not the shortest sermon in the world. It's not a sermon that's very deep and very rich. And this morning, we are going to look at chapter 7, the first 12 verses in Matthew 7. There's two things in this passage. One pertains to prayer and one pertains to this, uh, this thing that we have to learn to deal with called judging one another. Our favorite topic to talk about. But I will say up front that in verses 7 through 12, that's the teaching on prayer. I'm not really going to say much about that because we just finished an extensive teaching on the Lord's Prayer. So we know God's heart in prayer. So I'll just say this about it. If we want to obey the Lord in verses 1 through 6 as He calls us to, we need to be praying like verses 7 through 12. So with that said, let's read our passage. I will read the whole passage, even though we're not going to talk about prayer because it's part of the context. Hear the words of Jesus. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. So first, the speck and the log. 
can't think of a more appropriate topic to speak on in light of our all that our culture has to say about this thing about judging and whether or not we're supposed to judge each other. It's uh, it's a very relevant topic to, topic today. It was a very relevant topic when Jesus spoke it. It's something that simply will not go away ever until the Lord comes back because we have to deal with right and wrong. We have to deal with people and their beliefs and their behavior. We have to deal with our own beliefs and our own behavior. But Jesus says in verse 1, judge not or do not judge. And it sounds like he just is going right along with our modern day culture. And the big thing today is that we do not judge one another. I'm sure you've heard it. I don't know that a day goes by where you don't either hear those exact words or the insinuation of it in any kind of problem that we have or that we're facing. Recently read this online. So friend, don't judge anyone. Lead a magical life. And the most important thing, love everyone, no matter how the person is. Don't judge just Love, that's pretty much, I think, summarizes our understanding, cultural understanding of judging. And you know what? Being judged is not a good feeling. Have you ever been judged? Have you ever felt the burden? Have you ever felt somebody else's eyes behind your back or or they've noticed something you've said or something you've done? It is not a good feeling to feel judged. I get that part. But is this wise counsel? Does it fit reality? Does it really work? Can we, can we base societies, communities, church families, biological families on this, this truth or this mantra that we see? Don't call that anything as bad behavior, wrong behavior. Why? Because obviously it hurts people's feelings. That's one of the reasons that our culture gives us. And also, according to our modern day understanding, it is quite arrogant for somebody to judge me based on their assessment or standards or criteria of right and wrong. That's not acceptable these days. There's really no set standard or objective standard. We all have have to figure that out on our own. So existentialists say. And so when you come and try to impose your standards into my life and judge me for not living the way that you think I ought to live. Doesn't go over real well in our culture. And I think of your cultural conservative. um, You may have felt that before. You may have felt the opposition to taking a stand about some things for calling certain things right And calling certain things wrong. A lot of times people are called out for being racists and bigots and misogynists and every kind of ists that are in the dictionary for taking a stand. So is this passage uh, important? Absolutely. And the, the quote I read online, they're right. This is important. Love and judging is important. So is Jesus in this passage telling his people because he's speaking to his people, disciples and those that are interested, is he telling them, look, back off of judging people's thoughts or beliefs and behaviors. Don't don't use a moral, ethical, moral, ethical standard or the word as a standard that I've provided you back off. 
But what does he mean when he's telling kingdom people not to judge? Well, I think uh, the best thing to do in understanding this is what does the word judge mean? Let's think about that because we use it in our day and time. And actually, it was used the same way in their day and time. If you look in the dictionary, you'll see different uh, definitions for this word judge. And so we have got to kind of figure out how is Jesus using it? And the word krino in the Greek has the the meaning of to evaluate, uh, to assess, to discern. Uh, I think we just closed the Olympics and all of those Olympians had judges looking at them. They had time clocks, they had judges, they had referees, if you will. They're, They're judges and they are constantly evaluating their performance based on a certain criteria that they have been provided in order to properly judge justly, rightly, and fairly. And so all of those athletes were being judged on their performance, depending on uh, judged on how good it was, how fair it was, or how bad it was, or you broke a rule, you know, minus 10 points, or however they work it. So to evaluate, to discern, to assess as that's good, that's bad, or anything in between. You go to court, you're going to face a judge, whether it's traffic court, civil court. And that judge is going to, based on the law that is written in, in our uh, country, the Constitution, the laws that have been provided for us, he has to judge and, and make rulings based on the criteria that he has to live by, that he has been given. You know, I mean, it's kind of a it is written thing, isn't it? They can't just pull from some other nation's constitution, some other nation's courtroom. They have to pull from what has been written for them and provided. So there's a criteria there by which they are to judge. And therefore, you will be held guilty or innocent based on that criteria. So when Jesus says judge not, is he saying don't discern, don't evaluate people's behaviors and beliefs. Don't assess these things. Don't call them out as wrong or criticize in any kind of way. That is certainly what we hear today from our culture. Don't beat people up like that. Uh, Don't you don't tell me I'm wrong because even Jesus says, don't judge. How many times have you heard that? Don't judge. Don't judge. Don't judge. First of all, let me just state the obvious. That doesn't work in real life, because if I say to you, it is wrong for you to judge me. What did I just do? I just made a judgment. I just made a judgment. I've got an assessment. I'm evaluation based on my criteria of what's right and wrong. You just did something wrong. And I don't want you telling me that I did something wrong because that's wrong. So really, it doesn't. It just it would be nice if it worked that way. I mean, uh, and I know that our culture really uh, prides itself in this tolerance and and their definition of tolerance and just be be loving and accepting. And if it really worked that way. Maybe, but we can't fall for that. It doesn't work in real life. It's it's a sucker punch, quite frankly. To try to use that terminology, there's no end to it. If we can't call anything right or wrong, or if we can't evaluate each other, um, there's no end to that. How far we will fall 
and immorality. So I don't think Jesus is saying relax or, or abandon or forego your ability to assess right and wrong, truth from falsehood, to evaluate people's behavior and how harmful and how helpful it can be. We have to be able to do that. Jesus does it in verse 6. He calls people pigs and dogs. That's a judgment of a sort. Well, look at that. Another meaning of the word judge is literally the judge that you might hopefully not stand before in court. Unless it's to help somebody else that may have gotten in trouble. But there are such things as judges. There is such a thing as com- condemnation and punishment for doing wrong. What's the apostle? The Apostles' Creed tells us. He ascended into heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father, and will come again to judge the living and the dead. That's coming. God the judge, he's put that power into his son's hands because of his victory, his death and his resurrection. And the day will come when he will condemn, he will punish, he will divide the sheep from the goats. And all of our beliefs and all of our actions will be judged according to the criteria of it is written, God's infallible, inerrant word. And we will be judged ultimately on whether or not we embraced his invitation of grace, which his son extended to the world. So he certainly can't be teaching that we can't evaluate each other, call things wrong. But there is something here that we need to pay attention to. In this whole sermon, Jesus has has brought our attention to our souls. And he's always saying, look at your soul because there's a danger in here. There's a danger in your heart I want to bring to your attention. It's it's the, the ruts that we often fall into because of our sinful tendencies. And this is another one. There's a balance When it comes to evaluating and judging and discerning. I don't know that it could be said any better than speak the truth in love. See that balance? Jesus doesn't want us to be cowardly or to shrink back if it's something he's given to us as a gift to live by. But we have to be careful how we use truth. We have to be careful how we use our powers of judgment and discernment and and the outcomes of our evaluation. There needs to be humility. There needs to be respect. We have to have the right attitude and motive behind it. It's not to to push people away and to catch people. It's easy to catch people doing wrong. The hard thing is to restore them and redeem them. Catching somebody doing wrong is just the the beginning of it. You're just scratching the surface. Then you got to dig in there and help to restore. So here's what he says in verses three through five. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye? But do not notice the log that is in your own eye. And how can you say to your brother, let me take take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? There's that word hypocrite. Take the log out of your eye first, first. And then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So. What is this picture? What is this metaphor that he's he's painting? Well, 
surely at some point of your life, you have gotten a speck in your eye, right? You've got something went in your eye. It was a, maybe a real speck or a piece of dirt or a splinter of wood or a piece of metal from the grinder, whatever kind of work you do. Uh, maybe your own eyelash. And it hurts. You know, we're, our, our eyes can't take a lot of pain and, and foreign objects, and so it hurts, and we start rubbing it, and then it starts um, watering, which is a good thing for it to do, but then we can't hardly see out of it. It gets real blurry, and you're squinting. You might know, try, try to run in the mirror or something. You're trying to get it out and work things out. It's, it's uncomfortable. As you know, recently I had an infection in my eye, and it really messed it up. It swelled it all up. I could barely see out of it. And um, it, it's, it's quite a nuisance. So I'm glad that my life did not depend on my vision out of that one eye at that time. Because I could not see clearly. And Jesus is applying this uh, metaphor, this illustration to our own souls. He's saying, look, our souls can be like that. There, there can be something in there. And the result of it is that when you look out and you look at other people and you think you know what's going on and you think you're assessing properly, if there's something in here, you're not. And it's just like trying to walk around with a squinty eye and a blurry eye that's that's running. So... This happens to us. We get things in our soul. We get things in our eyes. It's a classic example. Something in our in our soul that may really affect the way we look at other people. Let's say we have unforgiveness. We have bitterness against a particular person, group of people. But to make it easy, a particular person. There's hurt. There's pain. It's unforgiveness. It's bitterness. So when I look at that person, what I'm going to see, if I let that bitterness grow, is you cannot do anything right. I am going to judge and find fault in everything you do. can't believe you dress like that coming to church this morning. can't believe you're trying to walk like that. can't believe you said that to such and such. That bitterness and that unforgiveness, I'm feeding myself and I'm coming out with the wrong product. And all of a sudden, I'm this expert at seeing every single flaw in it, and even if they're not there. And so, I'll judge with no grace. I'll judge with no benefit of the doubt. Because I'm working from my own unforgiveness. I'm the judge. I'm the jury. You're already guilty. I'm ready to condemn. I'm ready to punish. I might punish you by giving you an earful. I might punish you by talking behind your back. I might punish you by giving you the cold shoulder. You haven't changed. I did. I let something grow in my heart and my soul and it's affected the way I see you. It's a very dangerous thing, but it's very real. And it impairs our powers of discernment and evaluation. It's a sickness. It's a speck. It's how racism works. I have predetermined judgments against certain people. Doesn't even matter what you do 
no matter how wonderful or how right, I have already judged you as a certain thing. You don't have a chance. It's very unjust. It's very, very painful. It's very, very wrong. Narrow points of view, narrow visions, judgment out of line, unreliable. And then you can apply it to other areas of our lives like Jesus did when he talked about in chapter 6 about idols and loving things wrongly, putting improper values on things that God has assigned proper values to. So like money, if, if all I want in life is money, then I'm going to look at people as objects. Either you're going to get me what I want in life or you are competition, you're a hindrance. My judgment to look at people has changed based on what's on my heart. And even my marriage can get in the way of that goal. Even my family can get in that way of goal. Even my church can get in the way of that goal. Judgments. And there are many, many sins that can lodge themselves in our, in our souls and they distort our ability to see as Christ would have his disciples, the people of the kingdom, to view one another to view humanity. So if this is us, if, if there's something um, causing this blurriness in our soul, and we, we are aware of it because the Spirit has made us aware of it, what's the remedy? Get it out. Get it out of your eye first. That's the first thing. You need to take it out. Is that an easy thing to do? Uh, maybe sometimes there's little tricks that you can you can do to get them out. But a lot of times it takes a little while to get specks out of our eyes in real life. Um, the problem with that culture is, uh, you know, like today I could go to the bath bathroom and open my eye up and try to find something, in, whatever's in it, and try to get it out or Go to the car and look at a mirror there. But in that day and age, you know, mirrors just weren't around like they are. I mean, you might even have one in your purse. Mirrors were hard to get. You had to be very, very wealthy in that day and age to own a reflection like that. Basically, your best chance was to look into a still pool of water or some shiny metal or something. And that's not very good when you're doing such delicate work. This is delicate work, getting a speck out of the eye. So what do you do if you try to get it out? The next thing you do and you can't get it out on your own is you go to somebody and you say, can you see anything in my eye? It's killing me. It's all bloodshot. We go to somebody else and we get help. Sometimes we need somebody else to help us get the speck out of our eye. Many, many times. In other words, we need to be looked at. We need to be judged. We need to be discerned. We need to be evaluated to help us see what's in our own soul. By our fellow brothers and sisters. What kind of flaws are in my soul that's causing such trouble? And then we hopefully will go to somebody who will carefully and gently remove them. I remember and I was thinking about you know, surgery and, and, and different ways to get specks out of the eye. And uh, there's a lot of young guys in here. That um, if you have a need for a knife, like if I, if I just pretended I needed a knife right now, about five or six guys would have one right here. <laughs> and I remember being that age, and I used to carry one, and it's just almost like drawing a gun because you, 
use it a lot, in, perhaps in your work, you just pull it right out and it's flipped out and you got a blade. But I don't know that I really want those blades or those even those guys that would carry them messing with my eye and the speck. I think it's something that it's delicate work. You, you don't just go in there and, and dig it out here. I'll take care of it. Yeah, I see it. Hey, uh, thanks for getting the speck out, but can I have my eye back in my socket? <laughs> Thinking more in the line of perhaps uh, a Q-tip or eye wash or tweezers or something professional, gentle. And, and our souls are like that. Our souls are tender. Depending on how deep you got to dig to get at something. You've got to be really, really careful before we just plunge in there. It's so This is so important to our relationships in our, in our Christian community. And that's what Jesus is teaching in this sermon. How do kingdom people live? What's it look like to be a disciple of Christ? This is one thing we do. He's given us a picture of what it looks like. How we do life together. What do we do with all these judgments and these specks and these logs? Well, we don't want to become like the world and say no judging under any circumstances. It just doesn't work. Because then what? Well, we all go around with impaired souls and nobody's helping anybody find peace and restoration and health. Wholeness. We're just leaving people. Really? Don't judge? So you're okay with racism? You don't want me to call that wrong. You're okay with being under all kinds of unjust. You're okay with with abortion. You're okay with these things. The issues of our day. You're okay with with being cussed out or being abused. I can't say anything about this because I'm going to hurt some. Does that really work? But on the other hand, we don't want to barge into somebody's soul like Desert Storm. Give me some cover and fire. I'm going in. Give me some grenades and rockets. Because then we could do some pretty bad damage and might take a lot of time for that person to get over it. Soul is a delicate thing. So Jesus says, look, you got things backwards here. You're spending more time looking at everybody else's flaws and while you do it, you got this log, not a toothpick. You have this log coming out of your eye. Whoa! You know, you ever come to church and somebody's got their log? And you're like, Man, watch out with that log. Judgment after judgment after judgment. Cannot see their own thing. I think Jesus meant, meant to be outrageous, maybe even funny with this. You got a speck. They have a speck. You have a log in your eye. There's nothing subtle about that. We we have this. Don't we have to deal with this? Perhaps we have our own log or we know people with logs. And man, it's just one judgment spitting out judgment after judgment. You can't do anything right. You were 10 minutes late to church. You ever notice how people eat too much at the fellowship meal? People, guy only put $10 in the offering plate. I know he makes more than that. That person only sang one praise song all morning. Didn't even join us in corporate praise. We're just noticing every little thing that everybody does wrong according to our criteria. 
And it's wrong to just think it. Matters of the heart. That person probably doesn't even love God. Singing one worship song. Besides, I do all the work in this church anyway. I don't even why they bother to show up. <laughs> and then you just got to keep ducking because here comes the log. Well, according to this sermon, that's a problem. And in order for us to see clearly and be effective, we have to look primarily as a first priority in here. That's, that's kind of the whole point of this. We have to deal with our own log. And sometimes I might need your help to see my log because I don't know I have it. I'm too busy looking at everybody else's speck. And Jesus wants, uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit, to create this kind of Christian community discipleship where we're gentle, we're tender, we're discerning because we've been in God's Word, we know the criteria, and we just gently help one another, restore one another, and in humility, hey, I think, is this a log? Is this the log I think it is? Yes, my brother. It's, it's a big oak. It's not a sapling. It's a big oak. Really? Ah, I was hoping it was just a sapling. I had no idea. So before we go do surgery on others... You know, pride is going to affect the way we look at one another. Just is. Anxiety is going to affect the way. Uh, lack of faith is going to affect the way we look at one another and, and try to help one another. Any kind of compromises or immorality in our own lives, these, these things affect our ability to rightly judge and discern. You just can't not be affected by the sin that is in your heart. We are not the poster child for the gospel message. There are things that have to be dealt with, so we need to be humble. How do we do? How's our Christian community do? doing with that? What's it like in our homes? What's it like in our community groups? What flies around? What kind of lumber? Two befores, four befores, treated. We don't want to be cowards. Truth is truth. And God calls us to speak it. This idea today, many people that believe in truth are being cornered because when you speak God's truth, even in love, it can be called a hate crime. And it's very intimidating. Because the last thing in the world you want to do, you're trying to show the love of Christ and all of a sudden you've just been labeled as a person that is hateful. It's very intimidating. We cannot shrink back. Jesus has the answers. This is the truth. It's from heaven. This is what we have to live by everybody. It's the right way. And we don't want to let the world bully us and intimidate us and blast us. Because we want people to be set free. And God says, this is how you do it. This is the solution. You think about it, this is so relevant to our, our day and age. I mean, look, look at, look at the, um, the shootings that are taking place in schools. And we, we don't know what to do about it, do we? We don't 
We don't know what the solution is in the in the government and and in the media other than guns. What I want to know is if my child's at risk, what's making a person get to the point where they would want to pick up a gun or a knife or a bomb? It's a heart issue. It's It's a spiritual issue. Do you hear about that in the media? Can't talk about it because then you got you have to have make judgments. You just have to keep it real generic and blame shift. We don't know how to deal with issues that are affecting us. People are dying. People are sick. We have the truth. God's word. We want to be careful. We want to be discerning disciples. And then he throws out this crazy saying about pigs and dogs. What is that? You got specks and logs and then pigs and dogs all in one passage. Do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs. lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. This is one of those sayings that actually uh, frequently makes it into the hard sayings of Jesus books. It is perplexing. Did he just call somebody a pig and a dog? Well, it turns out that this little illustration, animal illustration, is just another way for Jesus to teach us about our hearts. What can we learn with this illustration? Well, he's using this to to teach us that, you know, that there's a similarity in how animals operate and how uh, human hearts or mankind can operate. And sometimes our hearts just don't get it. Our souls, we just don't get it. And in that way, we're like animals. And the Bible would teach us that the natural man without the Spirit of God, when it comes to spiritual things, they just don't get it. So let's play it out. You think, literally, I mean, when you read this, the beautiful thing about it is we, we use our imaginations. And so I'm picturing pearls Going or a pearl goes into a pig pen. And I used to work around pigs on a farm. I know all about the slop and the, and the stink and all that kind of stuff and what they eat and how they grunt. And I know their habits. So if you, you throw a pearl into a pig pen, what's the pig going to do with it? Are they going to immediately see it and scoop it up and hold it up to the light and get the stuff off of it? Maybe go over to the watering hole and and wonder, wow, wonder how much this is worth. Wonder what grade it is. Wonder where it came from. That's not what a pig would do. A pig would be like, nope, can't eat it. And move on. Does him no good. The way he looks at that pearl, he's got no He can't think outside the realm of a pig and that pearl does not help that pig. What do pigs do? Well, they like to eat. They like to eat. They like to root. And that's why they root so they can find something to eat. That's what they know. And they they like to grow into delicious bacon. It's all they know to do. A pig spends its day wanting to be full. And then once it's full, it finds the softest place it can. 
to rest its belly and its body until it starts feeling that sense of unfulness. And then it wants to satiate it again. And so it gets up and roots and, and eats. That's all they know. Morning, day and night. That's what it means to be a pig. And Mr. Pig wants to be the best pig he can be. And a pearl helps doesn't help him be a pig in any sense of the word. Doesn't help him be a better pig. It's tasteless to him. Doesn't make a soft bed. It's worthless. So, what's the pearl and how is it like dogs and pigs? Dogs are the same way. Well, we know in Matthew 13 that the pearl, of course, is Christ, the kingdom of God. It's the message, it's the gospel, it's the person of Jesus. Because he says in 44 through 46, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. And then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and he buys that field. And again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. So the the pearl is, is the gospel message. It's the person of Christ. It's the king. And, and when this person finds it, all of a sudden his whole value system has changed. And everything that he had been holding on to and that had been so dear to him, so precious to him, he does not even mind getting rid of now. I will gladly give this up. What will you give me for this item so that I can have this? Because I just found the ultimate person, system, kingdom that I need. I just found a way to become the human, the man that I've always wanted to become. All those hungers, all those desires, all those hopes, all those dreams, all those things that I haven't been able to get at and accomplish. I just found it all right here. So, yeah, I'll give up anything for it. And and gladly, because it is my greatest joy. So he has a sense of value. He knows what to do with it. He found the thing that he hungered for all of his life. It gives him rest. It's his beauty. It's his warmth. It's his peace. It's his guide. Makes him feel human. He's not missing out on things anymore. See, the natural man is is like the pig and the dog. Just don't get it. And I know because I've been on both sides of the pig pen, if you will. I have been spiritually blind where people... Talk to me about the truths of God and the gospel. And I'm telling you, there was nothing. It just was not sinking in. Now, with the help of the Holy Spirit, it did sink in eventually. That's why I'm here, obviously. But I know what it's like for somebody to, to, to see things clearly and try to bring you along and, and just not get it. If... Um, you ever get chased by a dog? I mean, you get, you got, they just think within their realms. And I was thinking within my realm of blindness. If you're getting chased by a pack of dogs, you say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, guys. And you pull out your wallet and you say, man, I got $100 bills for all of you if you don't bite me. They don't know $100 bills. They don't know the va- things that we value. There's a blindness. They can't think out of the box in that way. That's the natural man. No interest in the king of Christ. No desire. It's not precious to him at all. He doesn't want God's truths to fill his ears. He wants what he thinks he needs in his life to make him the man or the person or the woman that he thinks he needs to be. Whatever he has come up with. 
So if Christ doesn't meet that criteria, just like the pig and the pearl, that's, this thing is not going to help me in my life. And by the way, sometimes even people that might think they're Christians, they, they use God in that way. Rather than Christ being the actual pearl where I give up everything and hear all I need, God just becomes another means to get what I want. You know, if I pray enough, if I have enough faith, what I've always really, I just have always wanted to be married. I don't like being lonely. Maybe God can get me what I want. I've always wanted a lot of money. Maybe God can get me that. Or the house I've always longed for. And we just use God like another thing to get what we want. And the teaching here is, no, 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 all those other things, we, our value system is still wrong. All those other things just pale in comparison. You have. Do you look at God like that? Your precious, your beauty, your warmth. Where you just, just being with him, you, you adore him. That's the, the, the illustration here. The, the merchant found his favorite thing. It's not a means to get his favorite thing. Timothy Keller says, what does it mean to be beautiful? A beauty is something that's not instrumental anymore. It's not useful. It is satisfying in itself. You stand before it, you sit before it, you drink it in. And this is what you want. You begin to become not a pig, but a person. You begin to actually become a new creation the moment you move from religion to the gospel. In Christ is the ultimate beauty in your life. If he is, you are free. If he's not, you're like an animal. You're driv driven by your belly, by your instincts. You have to get people's approval. You have to get success. You can't let this person uh, jilt you. Otherwise, you have nothing else because those are your pearls in a sense. Those are the things you need. You're just driven by them. You're moved around by yeah. So Jesus always has this way to cause us to soul search. And that's what we should be doing this morning. So what kind of disciples are we? We've heard the teaching. And I pray that the Spirit has helped us to look into our own hearts. We all have our own lives. And God knows every one of them. We all have our own pains and our own struggles. We all have that person in our life that needs to be forgiven. We all perhaps have pieces of bitterness in our hearts that we have to overcome. We're called here to be discriminate and discerning. And we're called here to be gentle with one another and to help one another. And this is how we form and become the body of Christ, the living body of Christ, with Christ as our head. Let's be winsome with the gospel. Be discerning. We take it. We don't want to jam things down people's throat. If we, we discern that they're just not on that spiritual level, all we're doing is driving them away. We have to be careful with this. Be wise with the truths of God. A good way to do this, I have found, is that to tell them how precious the pearl is to you. Tell them your story. And then maybe you'll have an open door to tell them the greatest story that's ever been told. May God bless the preaching of his word.